This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we're refining and redefining the sales game. Our guest today is Mr. Hal Snowden. From up in New Jersey, what's going on, Hal? How's it going? We're good, man. We um getting back in the groove a little bit. It's uh it's kind of been weird, you know. We're down here in I'm well, yeah, we are. We're both in Florida actually, because Kyle yeah. works with me. I'm I'm in Florida, remember? <laughs> Still clearing out the haze from Key West this last week. Yeah, uh, I saw, I saw yeah. It. dude. It's like it's it's so up and down. We don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. I was just talking to uh, Scott Howell. Um, from Insurance Guys podcast earlier today, he's got a book, a, tri- a trip book to Key West next week or the week after, and asked me what my thoughts were. And I was like, follow everything every day. Like I told him, I, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for him. I mean, I dream of being there every day that I'm not. So I get their daily newspaper in my email box and read it. I'm in like back channel Facebook groups, which are always very intriguing because. People are asking, it's called Ask the Locals, and it's almost like somebody created this group so the tourists could go in and ask the locals, and then the locals just freaking destroy them with their hands. <laughs> it's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Why would you think that? You know, like somebody asked the question, why is Sloppy Joe's closed? <laughs> well, well we're, we're in a literal and a, a figurative haze with that Saharan dust cloud that's just <laughs> hanging over the state, which is awesome. Yeah, it's interesting, man, because I am probably going to go get tested for COVID tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like literally, because I, I'm, I'm ruling out whether or not it's the Saharan dust cloud right now. That's what I'm thinking. I'm hoping that it is, but... On Monday afternoon, like my head started pounding, my voice is scratchy, my nose is stuffed up and running, and I'm like, oh, God. But it's also the same thing I go through with allergies, and the dust wasn't down in the Keys. It was already passed there, and it was up here. So I'm really hoping that the fact – I actually feel a little bit better now. I went home and took a Zyrtec on lunch, and if that clears it up, then I know it's not the – I know it's not the Rona, but (laughs) – not good, man. Yeah. Listen, no, I, there is one man that is getting blamed if it is the Rona. And I'm I mean, not gonna, I'm, not gonna, 
I'm not going to defame him on on the air, but he, if he happens to listen, which there's probably a 25% chance that he does. I already know who it is. He knows who it is. <laughs> he, he knows who it is. I, he knows I mean, exactly who it is. Yeah, but as we talked about, I was pretty sure that that whole test came back negative. Doesn't mean he's not a carrier monkey. <laughs> I mean, so my, one of my my college roommate, one of my best friends, is a uh, um, doing his residency to be an orthopedic surgeon at TGH, and he said that uh, the asymptomatic transmittal is less than one percent. Hmm. So that's interesting. That, that's current. That's the current science, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? <laughs> find out. Next week it'll, it'll be something totally different. True. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be different tomorrow. So how t- listen, man, you've got, uh, I, I can't actually, I'm int- very interested in hearing your story. I did not realize that you were fourth generation yeah. in your agency, but t- tell everybody who you are and, and, and sort of what you're about and how you got into the insurance industry. Sure. 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 So, you know, I was thinking about it because I, I thought you might ask me that. And I was thinking about my typical line, uh, to people about how I got into insurance is that I was tricked into insurance. And, you know, I think as much as that's sort of true, it's not really fair, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I, uh, I was about to take another job. You know, like, like I said, I'm, I'm actually a fourth generation. My great grandfather started the agency. Uh, my grandfather um, was in the agency. Um, he did. He actually did tend to do more real estate back then. I mean, you know, back in the day, real, you know, insurance agencies would do all kinds of crazy stuff. We did, you know, real estate taxes. We did, you know, all, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, we did small engine repair. repair. What's that? <laughs> yes, yeah, small engine repair, <laughs> funeral services. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, yeah. So, and you know, he tended to do more real estate. That's kind of what he liked. And then, uh, you know, my father, and my uncle joined. Uh, the agency. My father's the one um, who really, you know, my uncle as well, um, really brought us into, believe it or not, commercial insurance. You know, we got, he had a couple key appointments with carriers and started feeding them what they liked, you know, sort of, you know, definitely old school type insurance in terms of, you know, going out and, and quoting insurance and, you know, get, relying, relying on relationships and that type of thing. And, um, and I, I finished school. Um, I think my father was smart not to mention insurance to me uh, before I finished school. Um, you know, and it's not that I didn't want to do it, uh, even though I saw him stressed all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, I uh, just never thought about it. I honestly, I swear, I just never had thought about insurance just because it never was brought up to me. And I imagine if it was brought up to me, I probably would have been more resistant to it. But it was like I finished school and I was about to take another job. And, um, that's my father brought it up. He's like, well, by the way, before you do that, you know, here's, uh, something you could do, you know, and you could take whatever you're passionate about and you could do insurance for that, you know? And at the time it was environmental type stuff, you know, and so it's like, oh, I'll do environmental insurance, which, you know, really didn't take off. But, um, but it was funny because I remember the first day I was like, yeah, I come in. He's like, you know, I'm like, now what? And he's like, all right, well, get out of here. Go get some clients. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I thought I had this, you know, and, you know, so. And but thinking back, I am very glad that I had to brunt it out and really find things, you know, because we insured the te- everybody in the local area. We insured, you know, uh, you know, you know, not that we were a big town or anything like that, but I had to go out and really find clients, and that uh, I think 
you know, if it was, if it went some other way, like, oh, here's a book of business to work or something like that. Um, I may not have been as successful down the line. You know, I think you fail miserably, man. I mean, that people ask me that all the time. If, if my boys or my kids would ever come work in the agency. And I said, if they do, they start at the ground and ground and work their way up. There's no negotiation with that at all. I mean, they'll start as a CSR or a telemarketer or whatever, because they have to prove, they have to prove their worth. And I mean, I think it's easy for my oldest son, who's basically me 30 years ago um, to a T to look at it and think that he's just going to slide in here and talk me into giving him some sort of a job where He'll show up, maybe, and, you know, do some work, maybe. And that's not what it's going to be like. He's he's going to have to figure it out. So, Well, it's like having chores as a kid or, you know, having some sort of responsibility versus just being handed everything. You don't have that same side of, you know, same sort of appreciation and respect for things if you don't. Sure. You got to think you've... Yeah, you yeah. got to think you've got a pet. You've got a responsibility. <laughs> Not, one of the greatest stories ever about my daughter dropping the F bomb while, <laughs> while she quoted Billy Madison in the middle of the living room. Uh, <laughs> it's good stuff, man. No, it, it's definitely true. And, and honestly, um, you know, I am so glad that it happened the way it did uh, because I had to suffer, you know, and I had to really make a lot of mistakes, like you said. And, um, it was, uh, it was really rough. It sucked, you know, and actually, it, so I have a, a newer producer now and I'm, a part of me is kind of like, man, you're so freaking spoiled. I had like two carriers. I had to like do, you know, basically I had to beg people to write their insurance, you know, at the time. And now I, you know, we're 15 years later and we've got a lot more breadth and stuff like that. I'm like, man, I wish I was just a producer right now. <laughs> that would be great. You know? Um, but, uh, well, I'll tell you what, man. I mean, I know in my interactions with Matt, I don't know if that's who you're talking about. That's great. I'll tell you what, man, he's going to be, he's going to be a good one. That guy's got a good head on his shoulders and he, he thinks through things and you can tell like he's, he, on the surface, he's motivated and ready to go get it. I, I mean, I've really got, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and Matt was definitely, um, he's kind of like, a new chapter in our sort of story is he's our first real non-family producer um, because, you know, we have four principals that are all kind of family and then, you know, a team of account managers. Um, and Matt is kind of like, you know, the trailblazer non-family producer. And we took a long time to hire him. You know, we uh, were very careful and um, you know, so we're, we're, we're excited about it. And he's got, he's actually got a really nice account in front of him right now. That would be, it's kind of like validating in one account type of thing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm aware <laughs> if it's the one I'm thinking of, you're right. exactly right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a really good conversation several weeks ago, specific to one that he had gotten in that. Yeah. It would definitely be like, getting your first major league at bat with the bases loaded and just freaking hitting it out of the entire stadium. <laughs> if he gets it. Yeah. I guess Which, the same time, I hope it doesn't spoil him. You know? like, I was going to say, that could be, could be a good thing or could be a bad thing. <laughs> Listen, I was just talking to another guy that, um, you know, that's exactly what happened. He had, he has a producer that um, had one, had one really big account that he thought was going to save him. And basically the deal went south 
And my buddy was in the parking lot with him and says, well, this is the day I was telling you about. You didn't get the account. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you go. Right. (laughs) So you guys guys both have worked in agencies with your dads. I mean, I I think that's kind of interesting. Um, You know, one of us more successfully than the other. Right. Like I know your story, but I'm interested, you know, how what your perspective is once you once you came to the realization that you were not just going to be handed you know, a book of business and you had to go out and suffer for it. Like what that dynamic was like. Cause I mean, I play golf with my dad, like we don't work together. I mean, we could, there's, there's potential for us to do business together. You know, if, if the time is right. And I think we're finally at the point where it would, I I don't see us butting heads, but I know for sure back in the day, it, it would have been, we would, This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we're refining and redefining the sales game. Our guest today is Mr. Hal Snowden from up in New Jersey. What's going on, Hal? How's it going? We're good, man. We um getting back in the groove a little bit. It's uh it's kind of been weird, you know. We're down here in I'm well, yeah, we are. We're both in Florida actually cuz Kyle yeah. works with me. I'm I'm in Florida, remember? <laughs> Still clearing out the haze from Key West this last week. Yeah. Uh, uh, I saw, I saw yeah. It. Dude, it's like it's it's so up and down. We don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. I was just talking to uh Scott Howell um from insurance guys podcast earlier today he's got a book a, tri- a trip book to key west next week or the week after and asked me what my thoughts were and i was like follow everything every day like i told him I, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for him i mean i dream of being there every day that i'm not so i get their daily newspaper in my email box and read it i'm in like back channel facebook groups which are always very intriguing because People are asking, it's called Ask the Locals, and it's almost like somebody created this group so the tourists could go in and ask the locals, and then the locals just freaking destroy them with their hands. It's <laughs> the dumbest question I've ever heard. Why would you think that? You know, like somebody asked the question, why is Sloppy Joe's closed? <laughs> well, well we're, we're in a literal and a, a figurative haze with that Saharan dust cloud that's just <laughs> hanging over the state, which is awesome. 
Yeah, it's interesting, man, because I am probably going to go get tested for COVID tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like literally, because I, I'm, I'm ruling out whether or not it's the Saharan dust cloud right now. That's what I'm thinking. I'm hoping that it is. But on Monday afternoon, like my head started pounding. My voice is scratchy. My nose is stuffed up and running. And I'm like, oh, God. But it's also the same thing I go through with allergies. And the dust wasn't down in the Keys. It was already past there, and it was up here. So I'm really hoping that the fact – I actually feel a little bit better now. I went home and took a Zyrtec on lunch. And if that clears it up, then I know it's not the – I know it's not the Rona. But – Not good, man. Listen, there is one man that is getting blamed if it is the Rona. And I'm not (laughs) – I'm not going to defame him on on the air, but he, if he happens to listen, which there's probably a 25% chance that he does. I already know who it is. He knows who it is. Yeah. He, he knows who it is. I, I mean, exactly who it is. yeah, but as we talked about, I was pretty sure that that whole test came back negative. Doesn't mean he's not a carrier monkey. I mean, so one of my, my college roommate, one of my best friends is a, uh, um, doing his residency to be an orthopedic surgeon at TGH. And he said that, uh, the asymptomatic transmittal is less than 1%. Hmm. So that's interesting. That, that's current. That's the current science though. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? It'll be different tomorrow. So how, t- listen, man, you've got, uh, I, I can't actually, I'm in- very interested in hearing your story. I did not realize that you were fourth generation yeah. in your agency, but t- tell everybody who you are and, and, and sort of what you're about and how you got into the insurance industry. Sure. 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 So, you know, I was thinking about it because I, I thought you might ask me that. And I was thinking about my typical line uh, to people about how I got into insurance was that I was tricked into insurance. And, you know, I think as much as that's sort of true, it's not really fair. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I uh, I was about to take another job. You know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm actually a fourth generation. My great grandfather started the agency. Uh, my grandfather um, was in the agency. Um, he did, he actually did tend to do more real estate back then. I mean, you know, back in the day, real, you know, insurance agencies would do all kinds of crazy stuff. We did, you know, real estate taxes. We did, you know, all, you know, whatever, uh, you know, we did small engine repair. repair. What's that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Small engine repair. <laughs> Funeral services. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, yeah. So, and you know, he tended to do more real estate. That's kind of what he liked. And then, uh, you know, my father, my uncle joined uh, the agency. My father's the one um, who really, you know, my uncle as well, um, really brought us into, believe it or not, commercial insurance. You know, we got, he had a couple key appointments with carriers and started feeding them what they liked, you know, sort of, you know, definitely old school type insurance in terms of, you know, going out and, and quoting insurance and, you know, get, relying, relying on relationships and that type of thing. And, um, and I, I finished school. Um, I think my father was smart not to mention insurance to me, uh, before I finished school. Um, you know, and it's not that I didn't want to do it, uh, even though I saw him stressed all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, I, uh, just never thought about it. I honestly, I swear, I just never had thought about insurance just cause it never was brought up to me. And I imagine if it was brought up to me, I probably would have been more resistant to it. 
but it was like I finished school and I was about to take another job. And um, that's my father brought it up. He's like, well, by the way, before you do that, you know, here's uh, something you could do, you know, and you could take whatever you're passionate about and you could do insurance for that, you know. And at the time it was environmental type stuff, you know, and so it's like, oh, I'll do environmental insurance, which, you know, really didn't take off. But um, but it was funny because I remember the first day I was like, yeah, I come in. He's like, you know, I'm like, now what? And he's like, all right, well, get out of here. Go get some clients. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I thought I had this, you know, and, and you know, so. And but thinking back, I am very glad that I had to brunt it out and really find things, you know, because we insured the te- everybody in the local area. We insured, you know, uh, you know, you know, not that we were a big town or anything like that, but I had to go out and really find clients. And that uh, I think, you know, if it was if it went some other way, like oh, here's a book of business to work or something like that, um, I may not have been as successful down the line. You know? I think you fail miserably, man. I mean, that people ask me that all the time. If if my boys or my kids would ever come work in the agency, and I said if they do, they start at the ground and ground and work their way up. There's no negotiation with that at all. I mean, they'll start as a CSR or a telemarketer right. or whatever because they have to prove they have to prove their worth. And I mean, I think it's easy for my oldest son who's Basically me 30 years ago um, to a T to look at it and think that he's just going to slide in here and talk me into giving him some sort of a job where he'll show up, maybe, and, you know, do some work, maybe. And that's not what it's going to be like. He's he's going to have to figure it out. So well, it's like having chores as a kid or, you know, having some sort of responsibility versus just being handed everything. You don't have that same side of, you know, same sort of appreciation and respect for things if you don't. Sure. You got to well, think well, you've. Yeah, you've yeah. got to think. You've got a pet. You've got a responsibility. <laughs> that, one of the greatest stories ever about my daughter dropping the F-bomb while, while she quoted Billy Madison in the middle of the living room. Uh, <laughs> it's good stuff, man. No, it, it's definitely true. And, and honestly, um, you know, I am so glad that it happened the way it did uh, because I had to suffer, you know, and I had to really – make a lot of mistakes like you said and um it was uh it was really rough it sucked you know and actually it, so i have a, a newer producer now and I'm, a part of me is kind of like man you're so freaking spoiled i had like two carriers i had to like do you know basically i had to beg people to write their insurance you know at the time and now i you know we're 15 years later and we've got a lot more breadth and stuff like that i'm like man i wish i was just a producer right now <laughs> that would be great you know um, but, uh, well, I'll tell you what, man. I mean, I know in my interactions with Matt, I don't know if that's who you're talking about. Yeah, Matt, or not, Matt. But no, that's great. I'll yeah. tell you what, man, he's going to be, he's going to be a good one. That guy's got a good head on his shoulders and he, he thinks through things and you can tell like he's, he, on the surface, he's motivated and ready to go get it. I, I mean, I've really got, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and Matt was definitely, um, he's kind of like, a new chapter in our sort of story is he's our first real non-family producer um, because, you know, we have four principals that are all kind of family and then, you know, a team of account managers. Um, and Matt is kind of like, you know, the trailblazer non-family producer. And we took a long time to hire him. You know, we uh, were very careful and um, you know, so we're, we're, we're excited about it. And he's got, he's actually got a really nice account in front of him right now. That would be, 
it's kind of like validating in one account type of thing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm aware if it's the one I'm thinking of, you're right. exactly right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a really good conversation several weeks ago, specific to one that he had gotten in that. Yeah. It would definitely be like getting your first major league at bat with the bases loaded and just freaking hitting it out of the entire stadium. (laughs) If he gets it. Yeah. I guess at the same time, I hope it doesn't spoil him. I was just saying that could be be a good thing or could be a bad thing. (laughs) Listen, I was just talking to another guy that, um, you know, that's exactly what happened. He had, he has a producer that um, had one, had one really big account that he thought was going to save him. And basically the deal went south and my buddy was in the parking lot with him and says, well, this is the day I was telling you about. You didn't get the account. So unfortunately I'm going to have to let you go. Right. <laughs> well, geez. So oh, you wow. guys, you, you guys both have worked in agencies with your dads. I mean, I, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, what, I, one of I us know. more successfully than the other, right? I, like I know your story, but I'm interested, you know, how, what your perspective is once you, once you came to the realization that you were not just going to be handed, you know, a book of business and you had to go out and suffer for it. Like what that dynamic was like. Cause I mean, I play golf with my dad. Like we don't work together. I mean, right. we could, there's, there's potential for us to do business together you know, if, if the time is right. And I think we're finally at the point where it would, I I don't see us butting heads, but I know for sure back in the day, it, it would have been, we we would have been at each other's, at each other's throats by lunchtime. You know what the thing is about your dad though? I think that you're way more anal than he is. And it would probably, the way that I look at it, just, just from my interaction with him, I've never known him professionally, but if you if you tell me you're the same guy, then you would definitely butt heads. Yeah. But if you're if you're not the same guy, I could see as laid back as I perceive him to be driving you nuts. So so no, I I think he, he's more laid back when it when it comes to you know life outside of work. I mean he he works hard and he works like all day long. Like I'll call him at seven o'clock at night. He's like, I mean, what are you doing? I'm working. I'm like. God, man, like, come on, bro. But um, no, like I said, I think we're finally to that point in in our relationship to where it would it it would work. But I know that it wouldn't have always been like that. So I'm interested as to to what your experience was like. Sure. So I actually, you know, I hear a lot of like horror stories of people working with their dads and all kinds of different. I actually don't know your story with your father, Jake, but. Uh, I, uh, I've heard, you know, I'm very blessed in that my father and I have different personalities. My father's actually not a real, I actually never thought I was a sales type personality. Um, I, I didn't really have any sort of, I just thought, you know, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what I thought I was, but, um, at my father really isn't, you know, he's very analytical. He's very, um, he's very slow to decision, you know, um, and my father worked, uh, producing doing something without really anybody's help without any real natural talent for it did a great job you know and so and so he kind of balances me because it turns out i tend to be a little bit more of a a sales personality i i you know i've finally kind of you know for for a while i was resistant of that and recently i'm i'm more like i take pride in it you know but it took me a while to get to that i don't know why it just it just was the way it was and um and we really working with my father works out really well because we sort of balance out each other. My father's is the traditional, I guess they call it boomer or whatever like that in terms of, you know, works. I, I can't imagine my dad not working. 
That's like people are like, oh, when's your dad gonna retire? I'm like, I don't know what he's gonna do. You know, right. like, like he likes fishing, you know, but you know, but like really growing up, he coached sports and worked. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, when we'd fish a little bit and we'd go to the, you know, but uh, you know, it's it's he. My dad is you know, uh, the hardest worker I know. You know, and I'm a hard worker, but my dad's like. I like to say like, I, and I care about my clients. I think I'm good at what I do. Um, but if I wanted an insurance agent, it'd be my father, you know, I'd say above me, you know, and, and really for no other reason that he's technically sound, knows what he's talking about. He's no nonsense. And, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing and he cares. He mm-hmm. really cares. You don't, you don't get a client from my dad. You know, it's, it's really rare, you know, like I, Sometimes I lose a client, but it's because I'm just like, I don't really, I don't get along with them. I don't, they're just not a fit for me. Where he's, he's not a fit for him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't take, either. you don't take it from him, you know? And so, uh, and it's really because he really just does really care deeply. Mm-hmm. And, and he's very, very knowledgeable. And that's kind of how I started out. I've kind of, you know, sort of changed my approach that it's not just about like this coverage and knowledge and stuff like that. You know, that's super important, but that doesn't necessarily lend you any counts. You know, right. uh, that's not necessarily getting you any business being the best insurance agent, you know, and knowing coverage better than everybody else, you know, um, as much as I think it should, it's just not the case because clients sure. don't understand what you're talking about anyway. So <laughs> it's, uh, anyway. Yeah. So, no, I thought your, I thought your point about the, um, you know, not really viewing yourself as like a sales personality or guy is, is interesting because I, I think there's a lot of people that are like that, um, that, that don't realize how many things are sales. Like, like my brother, for instance, just graduated college and he's like, I I don't know. I don't want to get any into anything that's sales. And I'm like, a, first of all, he'd be awesome at it because his personality is great. You you know, make friends and have conversation with anybody, make them laugh, whatever. But like, if you're a waiter, you're in sales, like you're, you're, you know, you're, you're selling yourself. You're trying to work for a tip. You're selling, you know, drinks, you know, dessert, like everything. So people don't really fully understand, I think all the time, just how many different uh, industries or positions are okay. actually sales. Any business owners in sales. Completely. If you own a business, you're a salesperson. I mean, like, you know, there might be some exceptions to that, but you have to, you know, and yeah, everybody, and whether it's selling yourself or a product, you know, for me, I, I kind of view it more as selling myself or selling my services than I am selling insurance. Sure. Uh, but no, for sure. And it's I, I and I think it's it is short sighted of a lot of people to be like, oh, sales. That's like that's that's not something I want to do. I honestly think we're so like sales is the best freaking. You know, I actually I think it sounds ridiculous. I say it sometimes. Though. I'm like, I feel bad for doctors and attorneys. Like they have to like bill their hours and they have to like. I don't think there's a better position than sales. And I think a lot of sales is problem solving and being a good people person. And that's sure. It. You know, uh, you, you solve. Well, I mean, do- doctors and attorneys have to go to school for a heck of a lot longer right. than yeah. starters, right? And yeah, and pay those 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 uh, you know uh, ridiculous. I think it's uh, you know, I-, I think sales is just an outstanding. People that don't want to do it and have some sort of idea of it, and that's another thing that my father he always thought I'd be good at this, and I'm like, why? Why? And, he, and he didn't really have give me any good reasons. I'm like, why would I be good at this? And I don't understand this. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, you're just going to be good at it. And I'm like, 
all right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, well, after four generations, Hal, I would say it's in your genes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. Sort of throwing that out there. I don't yeah. know. That, <laughs> let's not have this guy looking like Nostradamus at this point. <laughs> it was sort of written on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. So, so, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would tell you in a nutshell that the experience of me working with my dad was very educational uh, very um, refining and or forming of who I am and where I am today. Uh, while there was a lot of headbutting and, and things that, that have led me to, to be where I'm at, uh, I really don't have any business working for anybody. You know, that's at the end of the day, uh, my personality is such that if I can't drive the bus, I ain't riding on it. And, you know, sometimes that create, well, not sometimes, every time that is going to create a lot of friction, especially when they don't want to let you drive the bus, you know? So that's it in a nutshell. Um, You know, it's just, we we are, hindsight being 2020, I would have been much better served just doing my own thing or staying where I was before we launched the agency that I was at prior. But um, where we're at now, you know, sometimes you have to go through some of that crap to, to get to the other side. So, um, you know, I, I don't have any ill will or any negative negativity towards any of that at this point, but at the same time, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my thing. Technically we're competitors. So right, right. hate it for, hate it for him. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny. I think what, what did help is that my father kind of let me do what I, you know, I, you know, in the first couple of years, I wasn't really anywhere sort of making any decisions, but it didn't take long before I was kind of very involved in directing where the agency went. And that, that helped a lot yeah, because I am that way too. I am not, I say that all the time. Like I would not be very good working for somebody, uh, certainly somebody that didn't, you know, allow me to contribute in, in this, the leadering and steering the ship. You know, and that, you know, yeah, well, and I mean, the thing is, my skill set is mark. My skill set is sales and marketing. I do have an operations background because that's what I did. You know, the early part of my adult life. But if your background is not sales and marketing, you know, let the person who does do that really well do it. And that's not, you know, that's anywhere, right? For me, I absolutely love HubSpot. I love automation. It's not what I do. So why in the world would I actually try and control that process? It's so much easier for me just to say, hey, you're the expert. I'm paying you to do this. I'll hold you accountable to do it the way that it needs to be done. But that's where it ends, man. You know, for me, I'm going to get the best person for that specific need that the agency has to go and do it. I don't try and control everything in-house. And I think that that's, you know, a lot... It's interesting because, you know, you hear Mike Crowley talk, you hear a lot of people that are like even Ryan Keating, you know, was on last week, uh, was talking about just the dynamics of growing up in a, in a family agency. That's the difference, right? You guys grew up. I mean, you knew you didn't necessarily grow up in the agency, but you grew up in that environment. I did not Right. Like I went out, paved my own way, was successful. I was the top producer in the agency. And then as a 30 you know, 35-year-old adult, 34, 35-year-old adult decided I was going to go be partners in an agency with, with my dad and somebody else. Right. That was, that, that was a horrible decision. 
Right. Because by then your ha- your adult habits are completely formed. Sure. And I'm not I'm not somebody that's just going to roll over. Right. You know, yeah. I, I'm good. If I if I have a conviction about something or I feel strongly about something, I'm going to fight for that. And I'm not going to stop fighting for it. Like, yeah. I think that maybe at some point that they thought Chinese water torture was going to go away. And no, it didn't. It just turned into waterboarding. I mean, <laughs> right. You know, I just yeah. keep getting more and more intense as time goes on. So yeah, that's probably part of it. But, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, kudos to you and your family that you guys have four generations deep in that thing. I mean, and, and also kudos to you for expanding a little bit and, and starting to bring guys like Matt in that, uh, you know, are not necessarily you – know, they're not family. Right, right. Well, that's so, yeah, that's important, you know. So when you required him to get your family crest tattooed in the middle of his back, <laughs> how did he react to that? He, you know, it went over pretty well. You know, he uh, he's Matt's Matt's all in. He's all in with the uh, with the agency. That's good. Yeah. So talk a little bit. I mean, Kyle, just so you know, Hal is using all of the Zywave stuff. He may he may have more Zywave products than we do. Nice. Um, but I'm you know I'm I'm interested. You're you have specific verticals that you go after, right? Like I know that you're yeah. into health and fitness stuff is one of the things you do. What yeah. what are the other niches that you're in right now? So so one of uh, our so traditionally our agency actually did farms, which you might think New Jersey farms, of course, yeah. But, but having uh, a, having a wife from New Jersey, <laughs> the answer is I already knew that, but I was absolutely blown away the first time I went up there. So she's from down around Philly and Bordentown, Hamilton oh, sure. Township, that yeah. area. So I I thought that we were – like I figured I had a realistic shot of seeing Tony Soprano when I got to, <laughs> you know, Jersey. And like I'm looking around at all of this farmland and yeah. everything else, and it, 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 it surprised me. I actually really like it up there. It's not, you know, where she's from. I've not been anywhere else other than maybe I think Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. But – um I, I like it up there, man. I like that area. And, and what the other thing that blew me away about it is where she, where she grew up in Bordentown. Like, there's just a lot of stuff that they don't, they still don't have. Like, I just sort of caught me off guard in terms of stores and restaurants, and, oh, right? Yeah, and, and things like that. You had to drive over to Cherry Hill or yeah, or or some other place to to get to some of those things, and that blew me away. I I, I really don't know why I thought it was the way you know, other than. You see Jersey on TV, the, the, the Sopranos that you see, right. or something like right. that. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's pretty far. Sopranos is like North Jersey, outside of New York City, and actually, so our our I live farther from this now, but our agency is probably only 20, 30 minutes from Hamilton, from Bordentown, that area, and so it's sort of an area halfway between Philadelphia and New York City. So it does become a little bit more rural and not as you know urban as some parts of New Jersey are. Although there's definitely lots of, you know, very beautiful rural beach, you know, map, even some mountains, believe it or not, in, in the really north part of New Jersey. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it is actually a state that, you know, we have a bad rap, but I'm okay with it because I'm okay with people not coming to New Jersey too. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, well, most of us are going down to Florida, you know, it's. I know. I was going to say, I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I would be okay with people not coming to Florida actually. Yeah. But, um. But so you guys, you, you wrote a lot of farms. What what other? Yeah, so that kind of turned into sort of like landscaping, and then eventually, so we're we're still we're we I've me and and uh, my cousin and 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 my, my actually my my grandfather even started uh, 
branching out, but we're at, we're still 70% construction. So we do a lot of construction. We still, you know, as much as I try to, you know, not get away from it, but sort of diversify our book. And um, we still, it's like bread and butter for us. And so landscapers was the first sort of foray into that because there's a lot of landscapers in the area. Um, so we do a lot of that, but it's really, when I started, I actually, you know, I quickly dropped the environmental contractor thing, although I do write a couple of them now. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, went after HVAC mechanical contractors. That was my first main niche. Um, my my grandfather started a niche in fire departments that you know because he was the a chief of the fire department, um, and my 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 uncle was and my cousin. That's kind of more uh, their end. But we do fire departments, emergency services, first aid squads. That's another niche that we have, not me, but, you know, the agency. And then I sort of kind of stumbled into health and fitness. Um, I do, it's, you know, not too many single gyms, more franchisees that own multiple gyms. Um, that has become, you know, again, it was an accident. Actually, that was my, I originally said, no, I wasn't going to do it to a client of mine who was a marketing firm. And they said, hey, we're, we want to, um, we want to start, you know, they're going to start a couple different franchises. And they finally decided on on a fitness franchise. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to start in Florida. I'm like, I'm not even licensed in Florida. What are you guys doing? <laughs> so uh, that was my foray into Florida. I actually begrudgingly was like, all right, I'll get licensed in Florida and, you know, and do this. But, you know, since then, they're all over the place. And then they've referred me to other ones. And and so because it's, you know, now we, we call on them. You know, that's certainly a, a thing for us. Um, and that kind of delved us into private equity portfolio business. That's, that's good business, man. Yeah, no, that's good business all day. And, uh, and that's, that's become kind of a new focus. So, you know, we're still the agency in general is still fairly generalist. You know, we have my, my father's big specialty is janitorial. Um, but he also plastic plastics manufacturers is another kind of thing. You know, in the beginning, I, I think, especially my father, Ohio Casualty was our first major insurance point, which, you know, became peerless. And then now it's part of Liberty Mutual. Um, and uh, that was a part of part of that was like what they wanted was kind of like how we you know developed some of our niches. Um, but, you know, now we have you know the, the carrier breadth and the ability to sort of pave, pave our own way in terms of what we want. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like literally you develop a niche by asking the underwriter what it is they want to write. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I To me, that's so elementary, but it blows my mind how many times I talk with people that are agents or agency principals that just don't even have that conversation. Yeah. Like you, hold on. You, you haven't like met with your underwriter and said, Hey, what would you really like to write that you're not current currently seeing a lot of, or what are you really competitive on that we know that we can win if we get in front of? Most of them people, tell us. It's like not even a question that you have to ask them. <laughs> it's like, well, crazy. yeah, but they know we're going to go out and freaking go after it with reckless abandon, too. True. Right. I'm amazed, though. I still have some marketing reps that are really kind of like not very specific with that stuff. I'm like, come on, just give hmm. me. They're like, oh, well, here's our list of. Uh, you know, I hate the I hate yeah. the list of recent wins, man. <laughs> I don't want to see that. I want to see, you know, I want to see what you are going to be super aggressive on. You know, again, you know, you know, not that we're a little bit less carrier driven on terms of our niches. Now we kind of go more with what we like, but 
hey, man, if, if a carrier comes out with something they're the best at, I don't mind targeting that, you know, I'll, I'll you know, especially if it's not too far off of what we do. There's still certain things I'm going to turn down no matter what, just because I just have, you know, but then it's funny because like sometimes those things turn into for the longest time. I refuse to write painters. I don't I just wouldn't write a painter. And hmm. what, what do you have? It, what do you have? Against, what do you have against painters? Man? Because I had a lot of bad experience with painters just not paying their bills. And I'm like, why am I going to write this guy? It's canceling every freaking payment, you know. And and then you know, I found out. Okay, what well, if they're a franchise painter? They have more responsibilities to other people, and so they're actually good clients. But you know, sometimes you know, I, I don't know. It's you know, maybe that's really more too anecdotal than maybe it should be. It's just you know, a couple of bad experiences and turns into yeah. They can be nice accounts on the comp. Yeah, oh for sure, for sure. And I have a couple of nice painting accounts. You know, I've I've probably you know half a dozen nice painting accounts that mm-hmm. uh, you know the first one I begrudgingly wrote, but then he referred me all his friends, and so who cares? You know, it's it's uh, go. it's good. So, you know, we're, we're, we try to, I, we got to get better though. My, my weakness and part of the reason I joined your course is my weakness is actually marketing. I'm, I am, I'm very good at closing. I, I can, you can hand me most accounts. If I get in front of them, I'm probably going to write it. Um, I, I hear that. I can't even tell you how many times I hear that. My, my biggest handicap is, you know, other than, you know, I can get referrals into accounts and it. But really just general marketing is what we're not the best. And part of it's that we don't we haven't spent the time that we should spend on it. You know, and that's that's where we know we need to fix that situation. We're getting better. But um, you know, I'm kind of one of those people you put me in front of anybody though, and I'll I'm I'm gonna be a tough, tough competition. But just because I, you know, I, I I have the technical skills and um, you know, I usually am gonna find I'm going to find something, you know. Did I see somewhere that you're involved with the big eye and leadership capacity or something in Jersey? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the incoming chairman of the big eye of New Jersey. Yeah. Good grief, man. I, that's, that's pretty uh, substantial. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I, I, I believe very firmly in getting involved in your industry. I've never been one to be like, I don't want to talk to my competitors. I want to hear, everything my competitors have to say. Like, honestly, most people I don't really, on an individual basis, they're not really a competitor. Yeah, I might see them once in a while, but I have some agencies that I do see a lot, you know, but for the most insurance agencies, it's just friendly competition. Even in my local area of New Jersey, uh, I'm, I'm more friends with probably local insurance agencies than I am with, you know, anyone else. Um, but um, no, I, I'm a firm believer in learning from other agents. I, I've always been, and even within the association, I've always tried to promote. I don't really care as much about what some outside person has to say. I want to hear what other agents are doing. I want to hear what's working for them, and and um, I want to. We can work together and better each other. You know, just like you know, that's why I've gotten more recently involved in the IOA and stuff like that. And it's just all that kind of stuff. I love it. You know, I, I just love learning from other agencies. I think that's that's the that's the ultimate. I, and I, honestly, I think insurance agents, we have the worst rap, I think. But I know better people, as insur- the best people I know are insurance agents. You know, and they- I, I, would, I would agree with that, man. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, my, my theory on it is, is always going to be the same. I don't know that anybody will ever change my mind on this one. But um, agents 
always want to command the respect of a doctor or uh, not a doctor or an attorney or an accountant. Like that's the, we want to be your quote unquote trusted advisor. The problem is that they tie the entire transaction to the sale of a product. Right. And attorneys and accountants don't do that. They sell their intellectual capital and their experience. And until the, the agency world by and large can transform their way that they present themselves. Like for us, I talk about it, you know, I, I only have a few stories that I can remember. And one of them is I can go for 45 minutes in an appointment and never mention the word insurance. I don't think that I'm perceived as an insurance salesman by any of my clients. And I know I'm not by any of the prospects, even, even though when I walk into a first meeting, I have to overcome the fact that they already have preconceived notions of what it is that, um, that I'm there to do. You know, maybe it's the purple sport coat that I'm wearing that reminds me of the Utes car dealer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you have to overcome that objection right out of the box because that's what we have done. Right. And I think I've even been on those appointments with people that I think are good agents that immediately they go into a meeting and they start solving the world's problems by telling you the products you need to buy instead of just shutting up and asking questions and listening right. to what's really going on in the company. And that, that to me is why I tell you, I think, I think we have genuinely good people in our industry. And I think you would be hard pressed. We talked about this when we had Bob Klinger on, you would be hard pressed to find a more giving group of people than the independent agents oh, that are sure. out there yeah, because they're all involved in their communities. They're all donating money to charitable causes. They're donating their time and, and everything. But yet it seems like that stigma sort of always follows you around. And every time I think it's getting better, I run into a, a run into somebody who basically says that nope, not quite there yet, you know, because I see how somebody acts or behaves or talks or whatever. And right. You know, it's, it's crazy, but I, I agree with you, man. I mean, it, it's a weird dynamic because the competitive side of me doesn't want to be friends with other agents. Like I want to go in, do my thing and call it a day. Right. But what do you really learn from that? And, you, and, and I mean, over the course of the last three or four years, rather than me have like a center of influence that's local, it's expanded to a much more national level and it makes it easier for me to do that. Right. Now, if you were, if you were 20 minutes from me, we might be friends. Probably not though. Yeah. I'm probably not, not because I don't like you, but I'm never going to spend time with you or reach out to you because I'm being overly protective of, of my stuff. Um, I you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, but I if do. you're in Washington, you know, oh yeah, yeah. Hal, he's the greatest guy ever. Let me tell you what I did to get this deal done. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the one thing I'll say is to be fair, I don't cozy up to a lot of big broker agencies. That's because that's really where my competition is. They're not. And so while they are also usually very great guys, I know a couple of them. I'm not as quick to, to cozy up to somebody at Marsh or Aon or something like that, because I don't, that's really where I'm seeing most of my competition. Those are the accounts that I want the most because I'm going to pay the attention to them that they're not getting. Um, and uh, while, while having the resources that they have, 
you know, and those are the sweet spot accounts is the underserved big broker, national broker accounts, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're our, who we go after and who you go after is almost identical. Right. Yeah. It's that, it's that top end of the middle market. It's just, it's low enough that it's a house account. They may or may not even have a, a, a producer assigned to it. They put a new producer on it sometimes and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, geez. Like I wrote an account that was a manufacturing company that was $750,000 in premium my second year in the business. And it was a house account for <laughs> Wells Fargo Insurance Services. It's like crazy. they, this guy didn't even have a producer that he could call if he needed anything. They just sent them the renewal on email with almost a million in premium. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's amazing. And I I think that, I think a lot of agencies don't realize that that is the land of opportunity. If you've got game, you can kill it all day long in that space. That is the biggest eye opener for me. Cause I used to be intimidated by, you know, Marsh Aon locked in coming up against them. I'd be like, man, but then I realized they don't got their A team. (laughs) You know, sometimes they got some Ivy league guys, but they don't know anything. You know, they're, they're putting their brand new green guys on things and they just, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of guys that all of those firms that I probably would have a really tough time competing with, but they're not the ones on the accounts that I'm looking for, you know? Uh, well, the problem you run into, the problem you run into with those is like when they have the subject matter expert on payroll internally right. for very specific things sure. and they can bring that person in, but that that's what I've experienced in the past, but but that, you know, I don't even that person doesn't care as much usually uh-uh. as I do because it's just part of what they're doing. Me, I'm like, hey man, this is dinner. You know, this is what I thrive on. You know, and and that's it's like a that's uh, oh I gotta touch I gotta talk to them today and then I'm gonna go talk to them another day. You know, it's, but I think it, people see that when you're talking to them though. I mean, yeah, it, you get in front of them and you when you come off that way, it just makes them more apt to do business with you. They they know when they're getting not hosed, but neglected, I guess, by some of the bigger guys for sure. Neglect is, is I think the, you know, it stinks and it's one thing there's, you know, plenty of small agencies that neglect their accounts too, but that's, that's also the big opportunity. And that's why I think now more than ever is I think a great time to be insurance, you know, because there's so many people being neglected and, you know, while it sucks, you know, it's still an opportunity, you know, um, uh, so that's, you know, there's a huge opportunity for, and I think a lot of agents, brokers, whatever, uh, would be better served to, to kind of push beyond their boundaries and find that, Hey man, I'm actually better at this than I thought I was. I have these capabilities, you know, certainly you want to lean sometimes on your carrier or your friends to help you to kind of, you know, I, I, again, I was very lucky to have my father help me, but at a certain point, there's certain things that I, you know, he did, just doesn't specialize in, or, you know, there's probably a cap to what he, you know, in terms of, he actually was kind of scared to approach certain accounts, you know, uh, in terms of size and stuff like that. And for me, I'm just like, what do I, I mean, of course I'm going to go after this stuff. And, and, I, and what I found is, Hey man, these are, these are people that need me more than the smaller accounts do. You know? And quite frankly, are easier to deal with. They're easier to write, you know, yeah. I mean, Unless you're, you know, yeah, unless you're dealing with somebody who's got like some pretty significant product development or, you know, they're, they're doing weird stuff. Yeah. For all practical purposes, the stuff is, is easy to put the insurance program together for. 
And for us, we're going in and we're looking for those people that have the mod or of one or higher. Right. And, it, you know, they're not maximizing their efficiencies in how they operate. And so it makes it much easier for us to go in and use the tools that we use, whether it be a mod master or a broker briefcase and all of that. And you've instantly put yourself on a level playing field with the national brokers. Yeah. You know, that's to me, that's I, I joke about it all the time. My first two employees were mod master and broker briefcase specifically because I knew that I could get in front of people and close deals. If I had those two resources, there's no way I could replicate that content library or anything. If I was operating on my own, it's just not going to happen for sure. For sure. You know, what amazes me that more people don't use them, that don't use that stuff. I'm like, it's, I, I'm surprised people don't have, you know, more mod master reports they've seen before, but it's almost, you know, routinely, they've never seen this, you know? It, um, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing that's funny about it is I could go in and stand in front of a room full of a thousand agents and talk about all the great things about it, how it's one business, how many millions of dollars of premium I've written as a result of using those tools. And they're going to walk out and still not use them. I mean, that's just, no, it's true. I mean, that goes back to, and I don't know that that's necessarily isolated to our industry. I think it's just people in general, you know, the, the cream is going to rise to the top. The status quo is going to run in a pack, you know, several notches down in, in, it's not real hard. I liken it to Tom Stanley, who wrote the book, The Millionaire Next Door, The Millionaire Mind, and then another one, uh, Stop Pretending You're Rich and Live Like a Real Millionaire. If anybody read his books, they would be a millionaire. Like, it's literally a playbook for how people who were millionaires got to be millionaires. And it's not what anybody thinks. 2008 Corolla... Yeah, it's uh, it's the number the number one two hundred and seventy five thousand dollar house. Have you read it, or you just heard me I've, talk about I've, it? I've, I've, no, I've heard you talk about it a number of times. So I'm just remembering facts that you've belted out. Yeah, number well, yeah, number one drip most driven car by a millionaire is a Toyota Camry. Camry, Camry not Corolla. Why? Because it's the same thing as a Lexus, but it doesn't have all the bells and whistles, and they buy it used as a lease turn in so that some other person can take the depreciation off of it, and they drive it until. The, the, the wheels you know, fall off. The wheels fall <laughs> off of it. In the, in the second most driven vehicle, and this is back when he wrote the book, I'm sure it's changed to some degree, is an F-150. But they live in $275,000 houses. They don't buy because it's a prestigious neighborhood. They buy because of A, the school system, and B, the property taxes that are there. Yeah. And they don't, have, they don't have a mortgage. They pay their house off as fast as they can. And then they're just stockpiling money. These people have money because they know what to do with the money. Yeah. There's there's no doubt in my mind that I have the tools necessary that if you sent me somebody who had a desire to learn that I could get, help them build a million dollar book of business over five to six years, right? Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. The problem is most people just don't want to do the work. They, they, don't, they, 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 they don't want to listen. Yeah. They're looking for a magic wand. And let's face it, you know, the compensation model in our industry is such that you can be marginal and make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and some people are okay with that. I was for a little bit, honestly. Yeah, like a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a point in time where I was kind of like just cruising, you know, didn't have, you know, and 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 then I just was like, ah, this isn't enough. <laughs> yeah. So what what flipped that switch? So part of it is, you know, even though 
you know, so I, I, I kind of like, I have a tough time kind of describing it because I feel like I have, I'm very blessed. I have a lot of opportunities. My family have given me great opportunities, but at the same time, I was not handed something, you know, like I said before, you know, and, and I'm glad I wasn't, you know, and, but I feel like it's like this paranoia. Everybody thinks I was, <laughs> you know? And so I, I've had this chip on my shoulder. I have I, seen, I, yeah. I can tell you right now, I have seen that exact same dynamic across multiple uh, multi-generational agencies where you know that you deserve to be there. You know you have the ability to do your job really well, but you go balls to the wall to make sure that you're living with that chip on your shoulders so that everybody else who might otherwise think that you just got handed an opportunity knows differently. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really common. It's a hundred percent. And it's funny because I never would have guessed that. Like I was a, you know, so like, I don't know, more of like a hippie guy in college, you know, just not really, I didn't care about stuff, you know, but now I'm like, I just want more, you know, I want to, I want to succeed. And for another reason, I don't really care about the money. I just want to, I want to, I feel like it's my duty to bring us to the next level. You know, it's, it's really, um, and you know, whether I have family in the future involved in it, it's funny. My, my son's named after my great grandfather, who's the name of the agency. Everybody thinks that I did that because I think he's going to come to the agency. He may, may not. I don't know. You know, I'm never, I know not to mention it to him just because it's, <laughs> it's my father, yeah. you know, but uh, I, uh, you know, I want in case he does want to, or in case somebody, you know, I, I want to be, I want to just, pass it on to whether it be him or whether I sell it to somebody or something like that to just, you know, really have a real mark of achievement, you know, and, uh, and build something, you know, and I think it's, it, it, it's been great how it's come to this point, but I want to make sure that, you know, I, I bring it to the next level. So, so I'm interested in a story about the most creative way you have used Modmaster to get a deal done. I'll share mine if you share yours. Okay. The most creative way I've used ModMaster. And if you haven't, if you haven't used it creatively, that's cool too. Like, I mean, I'm not going to try and bust your chops. Why don't you tell me first so I can, you know, think about, you know, what, what creative ways, because I don't know if my ways have been creative. So, okay. So for example, here in Florida, we have a $17,000 split point. I don't know if you have that in Jersey or not. Yeah. Okay, I'm so it, because I do work in some other states, but no. yeah, New York has it as well. They, right. There's seventeen thousand dollars split point. So any claim that's medical only that's seventeen thousand dollars or less gets reduced by seventy percent when it goes into the mod calculation formula. So I will go in, and I've done this multiple times. It's it's one of my best weapons, actually. If I go in, one of the things I tell younger, you know, newer agents, if you ever have a chance to look at loss runs on the fly the very first thing you should do is look for the indemnity column on those loss runs because that's mm-hmm. going to tell you the story of everything. Now, you can if, if the loss runs are 15 pages for three years, that tells you enough of a story already. Right. But, I mean, if you go in and it's just like, you know there's a little bit of hair on it, but it looks like it's normal size, I'm not even looking at the med only. I'm looking at indemnity. I want to see how much indemnity is there per claim, how many low-dollar indemnity claims there are. And all of that, because that can tell me a lot of things like whether or not they have returned to work. If you've got claims that are $500 worth of indemnity, why? You know, right. why is that 500 there? Why didn't you just pay that out of pocket? Or 
why didn't you have the carrier pay it? And prior to sending the unit stat cards to NCCI, didn't you just have them send you an invoice so you could reimburse the carrier for what they paid out and make it go away, right? You Some states, they don't want you bankrolling indemnity. And I, I certainly don't advocate that unless you have a pretty clear path to that claim being closed. Because the last thing you want to do is have somebody pay indemnity out of pocket for six or eight months. And then the next thing you know, it's a settlement, right? Right. Because the settlement's going to fall under the indemnity portion of the claim. And it's going to be right back where it was. So I will go in and I will, my, my shtick is that I'm running the mod master number one to validate that it's even accurate. I want to make sure that it's right because it's all based on data. And if it's bad data in, it's bad data out. But then once I do that, I'll, I'll, once I have that validated that it's right, I'll take those indemnity claims, the low dollar indemnity claims, and I'll pull the indemnity dollars out and code those claims as medical only so that, and then run a second mod master. It's literally just a couple of clicks. So I had one I had one a, a couple months back that was uh it was it was a small the whole account was about 25 grand in revenue but the comp was only about 50,000 and it was a hair north of 30,000 in manual premium. Uh, but they had a 1.44 mod, so it pushed it up close to 50. The account had $75,000 total incurred on a claim, and 500 of it was indemnity. $75,000 in medical and legal, 500 in indemnity. And there was a second one that was $6,800 and $150 in indemnity. So what I did is I ran the mod master, validated the 144 was right. But then I took it and I reran it and I took the 650 in indemnity out, made those medical only claims. So you got the reduction within the split point. And then when I went and presented it, I could show them that if they would have had good advice from the beginning, that their mod wouldn't be a 144, it would be a 1.2. Right. Right. So they were leaving 24 points on the table, which essentially equated to roughly $7,000 a year over three years. So because they didn't pay $650 out of pocket now, they're paying it back in the form of increased premium to the two to 22 grand over three years. Right. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like now that's, that's not what I would expect a, a normal, like a normal agent to go in and do because there is a little bit of secret sauce there, but that's what I'm saying with, with these tools. I mean, even is, even as number one, a lot of people don't even use or have seen ModMaster before, but if you can take it and tweak it and do stuff like that with it, you're unbeatable. No, for sure, for sure. I'd say my typical my typical user mod master is to kind of promote a return to work program, you know, and show them, hey, if you had had a return to work program, this would be, because that is, it, it's sometimes the toughest conversation I have with a client, particularly when they have union employees, uh, because they become a little bit, it becomes a little bit tricky. But um, the 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 resistance to return to work sometimes baffles me and mod master usually allows me to get past that i guess in terms of creativity i guess the the one thing i i found is i have some accounts where uh it's actually the frequency of the account that's driving the mod and um where i have seen some success there and it's it's actually fairly new in terms of me implementing this it's maybe three years i've started doing this where actually we are, that's where I implement an incentive safety plan. And, and so we go after incidents, not claims. If we're, you know, and we try to reduce the, the, you know, and we're big on having the employees report something that could have been a claim. 
mm-hmm. so that we're really going. And, and so, and I've kind of been surprised that we don't have the split point, you know, and so, but we still have indemnity usually, you know, certainly is the biggest part of, of the mod, but I've been surprised recently. I've been, I've found more and more clients where they, you know, not a lot in claims, but their mods high because their frequency is just way more than average. And, and, and that's where, you know, applying an incentive safety plan. And I, I find I get less resistance about incentive safety plans um, than I do for other things. You know, again, return to work, I always get resistance, but we usually, you know, I'm usually parting ways if I'm not getting to, uh, you know, the right solution. If the, if the insured is, is unwilling to, to, to work in that way, it may not even be that's the reason, but for some reason, there's some other reason we end up parting ways. You know, um, but um, but yeah, that's the, so. Two things: number one, um, <clears throat> listen to the podcast that dropped today with Mike McDonough because he talks about the triage that he sets up for his accounts, mm-hmm. and specifically people who have frequency issues. Um, they are re- they are reducing the claims volume by between sixty and seventy percent just doing things the way that he's doing doing them setting up what happens in the event somebody claims they were injured or, or, or is injured at work. The second, but the, but the second piece that is I'm interested in what's the resistance to return to work. Like what, what is the resistance that you hear? Uh, my, the typical resistance is, Oh, my, my employees are just going to love sitting in this air conditioning room, you know, and, and it's, it's never the case, you know, it's never, yeah, it sounds, by the way, it sounds like an awesome culture you have there, bud. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like, you really, you really care about your people. <laughs> they love, they would love to get out of the hot sun and, and sit at a desk and, and, and twiddle their thumbs and get, you know, cause, cause part of the thing is we, you can pay less in New Jersey, um, for, uh, same here, you know, Amen. but it is tricky. Some carers are also, some, sometimes the carrier actually provides some resistance uh, to that, uh, depending on the situation, and and, and also the union does. So some yeah, honestly, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of paying less. I think just pay it and call it a day. It's it, you open up too many issues. We thankfully we don't deal with a bunch of union stuff down here. We right, I, I don't know that I I don't know that I've ever had to deal with the with a union on anything. So yeah, we I'm have counting a lot of my blessings. Contractors and they and that's where they're getting paid the same wage. And they got some of the, you know, they've got the union's protection. You know, I've got, I've got accounts that have had, you know, people drunk on the job site and the client is, is has no power to do anything about it. It's particularly near. It's so crazy. You know, uh, you know, they, they have no power to even kick the guy off the job site. And, and so that, that does become an issue sometimes for us. You know, one of the things that I've done in the past, and I, I, it's been a while since I've had to because we've gotten pretty good about just ignoring them when they tell us they have returned to work when we know they don't, <laughs> and just continuing to talk until they realize it. But you know, one of the one again, this is some secret sauce. So for people who are listening that want to lead with workers' comp, you should really pay attention to what we're talking about here for the last several minutes. But all these companies or a good number of them have job postings on their websites, right? Or you could go to Indeed or one of those places and search for jobs they're hiring for. And I, I use that to my advantage. Like my, my story that I tell all the time is about a plumbing company where they had horrible, you know, issues and obviously not a return to work program. And when you when you go in to talk to the guys, like, no, nah, I'm old school, man. This is a contracting place. I don't have a job count paperclips. Okay. 
Well, no, no, I understand that. And with all due respect, in order to prepare for the meeting, I did go to your website. It looks like you've had a job for a call center employee <laughs> posted in perpetuity for the last three years. <laughs> you know, so why not? Why aren't we taking plumbers that we could have released for light duty and moving them into a call center where they can be great support for field staff? The call center employees can learn from them. And by the way, if you ever want a plumber to miraculously heal and get back on their truck, put them in a call center, air conditioning or not, they hate it. Yeah. You know, they'll be they'll be back to work in, in two or three days, if that. Or even have them cold call. <laughs> yeah, right. any any of that. But I mean, I think that's where businesses they they look at they they don't look at light duty as a tool. Right. They don't look at it as something that is of benefit to them. And they, they, they have all of these jobs that could very easily be light duty jobs that they have a hell of a time getting filled and they don't put two and two together. Like if, if as agents, we can go help them connect those dots. You've got a client for life. I I've had that client for seven years now and the mod was a one seven three and now it's a seven three. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, and, and, and mod master shows them that money that they're saving, you know? Um, that's, uh, no, it's huge. I, you know, I, I, what I can say is I've never actually, so what I typically go, I think that's a great way to do it is to, to show them, Hey, these are jobs you have posted. Why don't you have, you know, but typically I'm, I actually just give them a case study and cause I still have never had a situation where we implemented a return to work program and it didn't work. It's never, it works happened. every time. It's never happened. And, and, but it's funny how many people have said, Oh, that's never going to work here. There's no way it's going to work. My guys are just the laziest people on the face of the earth. It's not going to happen. And I'm like, ah, well, try it, you know, and, and I've actually even made bets with them, you know, <laughs> like, like, what's just, let's just give it a shot, you know, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, you know, um, but. yeah, my job is I tell them my, my, my goal here is to negotiate win-win solutions on your behalf. So if you get the person into light duty and they come back and fill a role that you need to be filled, you win. If you offer them that and they reject it, guess what? They don't get indemnity benefits in the state of Florida, so you still win. Either way, that's exactly what you should be wanting to do. I think the other issue, though, that you have when you put return to work in is just lack of consistency in the administration of the program. Yeah. You know, some, well, you know, we, we'll let this person slide or no, I didn't get that note. No, I didn't get that note. I've had a couple of times where I've got clients that I just say, look, we need to fire somebody right out of the box. First person that violates anything, can them, call it a day. Everybody else will fall in line after that. And I think that's the other thing. Different dynamic if you're dealing with union shops, but we're a right-to-work state, so we have a little bit more latitude going back and forth. But you go out and somebody's, somebody's released for work, and then they don't show up after they've been on the schedule three or four days. Sorry, that's job abandonment. You're out. Yeah, yeah. Who's next? You want Somebody else want, it? Somebody else want some? Come on. You know, and <laughs> – that's what you have to do. You have to establish that culture. And I mean, I don't I don't think that employers sometimes do the best job of articulating why that's beneficial to the employee too. Like you want that person back. You want them in into the in, in to not lose their routine and their rhythm and ha- that's cultural. Period. Sure. It has to be from the culture. So we had it out. They just don't get it. So I have a question. Did you actually lose a bet when I watched you walking through a fire pit at Innovation? Was that something that you bet somebody on or? No. Um... <laughs> Kyle, I was, in, I was sitting, they had fire pits outside of the place where we were staying. 
And I literally looked over and I saw how like walking through fire. And I'm sounds thinking, like sounds like whiskey dense. I said that guy right there had a great time on the harbor cruise. <laughs> he did have a great time on harbor, and that's really probably most of it. I, I actually I have you know um, I have certainly respect for fire, but I've also you know I've had a little bit of uh, I used to. Very hippie thing to do is to spin fire. <laughs> so you'd actually have like it's like a Maori thing in New Zealand where you actually have Kevlar balls where you light them on fire, and now everybody's gonna see. It. Dude, so you were all into the opening ceremonies when those guys were twirling the yeah. fire. <laughs> yeah, I could have helped them out. You know, I could. Hey, man, I'll I'll, I'll uh-uh. in there for, um, you know. But uh, yeah, you know, I I kind of know what's gonna burn me and what's not, <laughs> even when I'm a little bit tipsy. <laughs> so it's uh. I mean, if I fall, if I fall, and I guess I'll, I'll admit that that might not be a great idea. But um, as long as I can stay on my feet, I'm okay. I think it was a great case of proving that you can take calculated risks. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. Like um, a lot of people might assume that I, I'm sort of like a, a risk averse person, but I'm definitely not. You know, I actually would have assumed you were a carnival performer. <laughs> yeah, <in the> no. <laughs> I've done some pretty uh, risky things in my life for sure, and. Uh, but it usually calculated, you know, uh, definitely I have considered it more than people probably thought I did. So uh, I wish I could say the same. <laughs> I, I have definitely taken the risks, but there was no calculation. Involved. Never Zero. been good at math. <laughs> Zero <laughs> thought process. Well, listen, man, we've been going an hour. I, I want to be respectful of your right. time. It was cool chatting with you. I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Right, uh, you know, if, as we said, getting started, people will want to hear from, you know, hear, hear your perspective on things. They may want to reach out and pick your brain, especially knowing that you're like Johnny big eye now. I mean, that's uh, how, how do they get a hold of you? What's the easiest way for them to reach out? Um, so you can uh, uh, always email me HW Soden at sodeninsurance.com. I'm not a, averse to a friend request or anything like that on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. Uh, and if somebody really wants to get in hold of me, you can call my cell phone. I'm probably not going to answer it, uh, but I'll call them back. Uh, 908-420-3478. So. so I'm not a first to a friend request on Facebook either. And it appears that um, I have the market cornered on Asian women that are young <laughs> and have two friends that send me a lot of requests. I'm not saying I'm, I may not reject it. But, you know, if they if, if they're in the insurance industry and I can see that, I'll probably accept them. Yeah, it's funny, man, because <laughs> and this is interesting. And I'll say this and then we'll go. There's like these I, I'm trying to figure out how they do it. But there's like these little um, splinter cells of life insurance agents. Yes. That if you take like a request from one of them, the next thing you know, bam, you got like 20. I've tried to weed that somehow and I can't I haven't figured it out. You know what? Yeah. I used there there are I used to do it by checking our mutual connections and then seeing and then I realized okay great well this isn't good because some of my mutual connections are just accepting friends from anybody. So then I started triangulating the kingpins of this life operation and if they were the ones that if I saw that they were a mutual friend they're out. I've, Sorry guys. I've done that. I've not been as successful, but I've tried to kind of weed, you know, figure it out because but yeah, you, you sometimes have 20 mutual friends of people you know and you know, it's just that they just are very accepting of of uh 
of people. So yeah, it's crazy. Not that it's crazy. I'm accepting of people, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, listen, I hope you and your family have a great fourth, man. Send, uh, give Matt my best. We'll do. I haven't talked to him in a little while, but I uh, hope you guys have a good fourth and stay safe and healthy up there. I know you're you're trying to bounce back. It's it's a little bit different than it is here, but I, I don't know that we're all together that different in the long run. Sure. No, without a doubt. It's definitely pretty interesting here. But uh, likewise, you, you have a happy fourth too. All right, brother. Have a good one, man. All we'll right. talk soon. Thanks. Oh, thanks, man. See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 